0: This is for the nerds. This is for the brainiacs. This is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back. You ain't gonna touch me. You're not gonna do nothing. You
1: are not above me. I bet you wish you was me. I know it I know. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another Solve for Why blogcast. This is episode number 30, season two. And we are reunited with the one and only Christian Soto. Still in Jersey. It's uh what do you what do you? on winter hiatus
0: at this point it's been three months i don't know this is uh, this is unprecedented times most people don't winter uh, in jersey you know
1: whenever once you get rich the whole the whole thing is that you uh you winter elsewhere you know where it's warm i'm not rich i am uh, i'm just here bitcoin's fifty two thousand dollars. <laughs> big one That's bitcoin true. one bitcoin is a house uh, it's a, a house, it's a, not, not here it's a nice car one bitcoin is a nice car two bitcoins is for sure a house maybe not here you can't get a hundred thousand dollar house
0: no <laughs> ain't no houses here for bro, a hundred thousand bro the lowest the low listen the lowest house by my neighborhood is half a million dollars that's the lowest you're gonna get how fucking rich how well, rich. I'm not saying my neighborhood is that nice. I'm just saying we're right next to New York City, so there's no house that's gonna be like less than half a million. Right, well, where I grew dumped. up, where I grew up, I could get two houses for two bitcoins for sure. Uh, and I can get a, I could get a mansion for four bitcoins. So what are you doing, man? Let's go over there, read, like you know, start a whole like development. No, 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 no. Uh, Pittsburgh, in and of itself, the the real estate market in the city has
1: definitely gone way up. My Man, I'm so salty about this. I think I was telling maybe Andre or somebody else about this a few days ago. But in like 2010 or 2011, the north side, which is where all the stadiums are and where they built the casino, was just like super run down. It was low income housing mostly. um, And it was like kind of the outskirts of the city. Uh, It was right across the river from downtown, but nobody who worked in downtown really lived there. Like people live in suburbs because the actual downtown part of Pittsburgh is very small. So um, he knew that they were building the casino and he just had the foresight to recognize that they were going to gentrify that area and really develop it. So he bought a two-bedroom condo, pretty run down. I've actually stayed in it a few times. It's not run down anymore, but he, he put like... I don't know. I think he paid like two hundred thousand for it, maybe, maybe even significantly less, like 100000 hundred thousand, and then put like twenty or thirty thousand in uh, renovations. And for the last eight years, he's been renting it on Airbnb, and he's at like ninety percent capacity, uh, renting it for two hundred dollars a night. So he paid off the mortgage so it's in like, like almost it's, yeah, it's done. No, he paid it off in like sixteen months or something like that, uh, and he's just been profiting like you know a quarter million a year since we ended up getting like yeah. multiple properties like this tried to convince me to do it but it was like right on the
0: verge of me going broke i'm just like ha. Ah, real estate <laughs> what the
1: fuck can i know it's hard
0: man like the real estate game is hard like i think i think my parents were, were telling me that they want to buy like they want me to buy a property or whatever and i'm just like i was like if i put 100k down payment but it's like then bitcoin could go up to 100k and then i'm it, like
1: it's just not worth it know?
0: Like I bought my house.
1: Here, here's my cautionary tale. All right. First of all, if you're gonna live in it, uh, don't plan to make any money investing on it because you're just gonna want all the customizations, right? It's like right. buying it's like buying uh, the base model of a, a reasonable car and then just realizing you're gonna dump a bunch of fucking money into it because you want all the sickest stuff. Yeah, so yeah. like I bought I built my house on a half a acre lot and it's like forty three hundred square feet, something like that uh closed bare floor so it meant that like it closed without flooring or appliances uh for 650k a fucking steal an absolute steal yeah right? sure but now i have to put floors in and i have to put appliances in okay you should be able to do that for if if 100. you're yeah way less if you're conservative you should be able to do this for like 30 or 40 i okay. on the other hand spent 80,000 on a whole new kitchen i spent 80,000 on my kitchen nice though yeah it's nice and I got convinced that, like, you know, resale value, whatever, like, you're never recouping that 80K, right? No. Like, having a super nice kitchen might increase your your resale value by like one, two percent, but never by whatever you fucking put into it. And I spent mm-hmm. 130,000 on a pool. And, like, you know, by the time it was all said and done, I was like an extra 400 out of pocket in. So well, Benba
0: Benba paid for
1: the pool, but Benba yeah. did pay for the pool. I appreciate Shout <laughs> out my man and Lamb. You know, I I played Short Deck once and uh we got him. Um But yeah, so like when it was all said and done, I think I'm into my house total for like 950 to a million. And it's up massive. I think right now it's appraising for like 1.1, 1.2. But like yeah, that's I'm still Yeah, but like I'm still almost. I'm barely not underwater. <laughs> and the market's yeah, yeah, yeah. inflated. The market's massively inflated, right? It's up it's up almost a hundred percent in four years. That's not gonna I should just fucking sell the thing, and get out now. Make like thirty thousand dollars and call it a day.
0: Have an extra million in your pocket. No, no, no. I have a mortgage, man. <laughs> I mean, you know, what um, are you gonna do? I would have debt. Yeah. I think I think it's a good I think it's a good game. I mean, it's just so hard right now, like I mean, maybe we're all delusional, right? But it's just like investing in anything that's not Bitcoin seems like a, like not good. I don't know. Like, it's I think like... all
1: major asset classes are just like massively inflated right now. My cousin's sending me all of my baseball cards as we speak. I have like hmm. an album of every Barry Bonds card that was ever made between like. 80... Damn,
0: I did that. I did that for a Rod.
1: Probably worth something if you still have it.
0: Yeah, I'll have to check it.
1: Um, yeah. I don't know the condition that mine are in. I hope they're in decent, but I don't know. But it's probably a few thousand dollars worth of co- cards. You know, I have, like, all of his rookie That's cards. That's
0: pretty cool, yeah. No, I mean, that, you might you might find some gems, though. You never know.
1: Yeah, yeah. But on top of, like, these 80 or 100 Barry Bonds cards that I had, I probably have a 1,000 others that were just thrown away. Like, I know I had, like, Griffey rookie cards and basically everybody who is, like, late 80s, early 90s, um, I probably have, like, complete sets. But they're almost certainly trashed.
0: Probably, but, yeah. like, zero Dominicans in your fucking collection.
1: Um, no, I bet I have some Pedro Martinez stuff. Almost certainly. Man, Pedro is nasty. Bro. Uh, I, w- you don't even know what team he started on. I have his, rookie, started, I had his, rookie he started card for sure. He started in Montreal. Yeah. 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 He was on the Expos. Um, Come on, I, bro. I definitely, I have Vladdy stuff too, for sure. When he was on the Expos. But the whole point I'm trying to make is that, uh, the dollar is seemingly very volatile right now. So a lot of institutional money is looking for asset classes. And whether that's real estate, Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, trading cards, art, digital art, digital
0: trading cards,
1: like (laughs) literally anything that they think is a store of value at this point, they're just like all in on it. Like, put it on the books.
0: Yeah, it's a fact. It's a fact. All right. Talking about investing, right? Uh, One of the things, obviously, the big story that you guys spoke about last week was Landon, right? Landon and, uh, you know, the heads up challenge with both. Bill Perkins and, you know, a little bit of action that is to be determined on Rob Young. And I guess, you know, people, you know, the major problem that people were talking about were like, oh, you don't have, you don't have your action. Kind of like a little bit of hate from like JMO and shit like that. You know what I'm saying? So it was, uh, it, it felt weird, right? And then Landon, he puts up this tweet, as you can see, he's like, you know, I'm selling a lot of action. I'm not really rolled for this kind of a nosebleed thing. Uh, so, like, I guess from our side, right? Like, we are two of the people that invest in Landed, mm-hmm. right? I don't know if he's open about like the entire group, but we are two of of the of them, right? So, you know, when this came out, I personally wasn't like too happy about it. I'm not like because because we because we don't know necessarily like heads up, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw a little bit of uh, the heads up stuff with the graphs from. Doug Polk that he tweeted out today. Mm. But generally, we didn't we wouldn't know how much Landon is beating somebody like Bill Perkins for, right? Uh, so then the other thing I wanted to talk about was our general feeling when that came out, potentially our general feeling now. What do we think about just poker investing in general um, with, like, horses and stuff like that?
1: I think I kind of shared your sentiment uh and here's the thing like uh landon has no problem selling for this match whatsoever for sure like literally none the there are a lot of people who chomping at the bit to uh to get a piece of this for sure because they think it's a super plus EV spot uh and i also think that that's true i think landon is winning i think he's winning more than the nine big blinds how much more difficult to say um yeah we really don't have a measuring stick for that especially because Landon's only played, you know, prior to this challenge or, or sorry, prior to preparing for this challenge, maybe 20,000 hands of heads up, which isn't much. And right. there's a big difference between six max and heads up. You know, I see it myself whenever I try to play in heads up spots and I see it against others now that I'm a little bit more knowledgeable about heads up where it's very clear that they're ring players and they're just trying mm-hmm. to attribute this. Basically, they're just like way too tight in all spots. Uh, And I know that like when I was playing a lot of heads up on WSOP and doing well, most of that may have been born off of the fact that like I was just too tight in spots where people thought like I was more capable. In any event, though, I think that the reason why we are justified in our concern is not because Landon isn't printing money here. And it's not because it's not a good investment. It's because the volatility of this investment is astronomical an example of this is Nick Howard's brother, Patrick, you know, they have a lot of data and he reached out to me and he was basically like, Hey, I just want to let you know, like I've been crunching some numbers and this is effectively what I arrived at. Like if Landon is winning 15 big blinds per hundred, essentially he fails this challenge. And you can see it here on the graph, the probability of running below observed win rate is about 33%. So that means about one third of the time, Perkins ultimately comes out the winner here and the issue is that we're laying a pretty big price right so uh I guess I guess like if you're investing in lander you're not really laying a price but like the betting market will be laying a pretty fair price now to be right. fair they're probably still going to be getting good the right side of it right like as long as you're not laying two to one more or more you're still effectively getting the right side of it but the whole point is, is that like you know this is going to be a risk of like two million let's say mm-hmm. and a third of the time we're going to lose at least a third of that 2 million, right? Because we're spotting him 720,000 or something like that. So it's a really, really, really risky endeavor. And obviously that's plotted off of Landon winning 15 blinds per hundred. Well, the inverse of that now is what does he win the two thirds of the time that he profits? And we're assuming it to be about six big blinds per hundred which works out to be, um, it, it works out to be about a half a million when it's all said and done. Maybe a okay. little bit less, so a little bit less, okay. like four hundred k actually. Um, and it's like, okay, well that's spectacular. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. So two thirds of the time we win four hundred k. One third of the time we lose at least seven hundred k. And yeah, it
0: feels like it even. It feels like it's even, and like that kind of a of a split, right? Well,
1: it can almost be worse because we're not capped at the seven hundred k loss. Right, and obviously we're not we're not we're not obviously capped at the 400k win either, but like within the realm of standard deviation, it's it's going to work out basically on average. Where it's like, yeah, Landon's just really not. If if his win rate, if his true win rate is 15 big blinds over per hundred over the course of this 20,000 hand match, then yeah, like he's just he's putting in a lot of hours and hands for not very much money. And from the investment The the investment side, that's not like super super attractive.
0: Do you have the same concerns of the of the match where maybe he's winning fifteen big blinds hand one, but not necessarily hand twenty thousand?
1: No, no. Because I think if he's winning fifteen big blinds at hand one, I don't think Perkins can close that gap faster than like I don't think the same diminishing returns exist for Landon as they did for Doug. Doug was like pretty high up on the heads up hierarchy already. So right, 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 right. It's
0: much different.
1: Yeah, his refinement process was really just going to be like tweaking some preflop strategies and, uh, you know, eking out a big blind here or there by applying a little bit more perfectly post. I think Landon will, and I and I trust the the group of people that are working with Landon too, in the sense mm-hmm. that they're not just solver driven. Uh, yeah, I, I think that they're very adjustment driven. So if they see and can key in on some spots where like it's very clear Perkins is improving in this particular area where we were deriving Mm -hmm. a fair amount of win rate before um we now need to balance out that area and start to look for other holes because you can't when you're when you're in perkins's shoes unless he comes in four months prepared already you know has already closed the gap massively uh without that being the case you can't cover all your bases right if you get really good at one thing that your opponent was exploiting you at then there are going to be two or three other things that are going left unstudied
0: what do you think? I mean, I agree with you. I like um, when the team was being set up of Landon. I think everyone kind of agreed that we wanted a team that wasn't necessarily just going to be like a solver team. It was going to be like a more complete team of people. And I think his team is pretty good. Uh, in in terms of Perkins, you, you know, you had your opinion on like what Daniel should do, right? Going in, what what do you think is is like would be Perkins's approach, like of coming in?
1: I mean, for him, it's like if, if he can, if he can show up day one and play the way Daniel played, like he's gonna make this a fucking nightmare for Landon.
0: But what if what if he shows up playing the way Daniel played hand one?
1: I still think it's kind of the same thing. If he can progress the same way that Daniel did, I think that it's going to be a problem for Landon. Not in the sense that Landon loses the challenge. I think I, I think if that were the case, he probably wins a little bit more than his fair share of the sixty seven percent. But it just depends on how hard Bill is willing to work. And like, this is a narrative that I really want to crush because it's one that I hear flippantly being thrown around a lot in the group chatter, like our, our little inner circle of just like, you know, Perkins has never finished one of these challenges. He's not going to put the work in. Mm -hmm. Um, There's just a good probability that he doesn't care enough about this spot that Landon sheer will desire and, you know risk factor is going to make him a massive favorite i don't think that's true basically i think like either bill shows up day one uber prepared and this is going to be a dog fight or the match just never happens i don't really think that there's some in between where like he plays twenty thousand hands with the exact knowledge that he possesses today
0: yeah i could see a world where bill says like i don't really want to play anymore here's like you know here's 30k like i don't want to like i don't want to bother with this anymore Um, or there's another world where he wants to play and he wants to do well. You know, I, I agree with you. I don't really see an in-between though with Bill, right? Like he's like kind of all in or he's out, you know, he, he's not like, kind of like a, like, okay, I'll give it a shot type of thing. Like, he's more like, like, no, 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 no. We're going to die with zero or we're going to live forever. Like, it's like, he's not that, you know, um, I think people see uh, him
1: as just like, a really wealthy, almost playboy type who doesn't have the time or energy to dedicate three months to poker, let alone six months to poker study and play. And that's probably Mm. very true. But I'm pretty confident that he acquired that level of wealth and status in his life by being willing to make three and six month sacrifices so oh if, for sure right? yeah if, if this is be. just something that is on his radar to being a priority number one i think he'll make it priority number one and i don't think he's as incompetent as we we paint him like i don't think the 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 broad brush of incompetent wreck fits somebody of like perkins narrative
0: yeah yeah i i agree i think he's like definitely a, a bright dude and then if he wants to do it maybe he's like always wanted to to do something like this you know like, and he just like never had the time, and maybe there's like a little window of time right now where he could do it. Yeah,
1: I would also you know, just be knows? more confident in him being lazy and unstudied and unprepared if he didn't have the same access that, that Daniel has.
0: Yeah, different. It's a different. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice when 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 you have a team that you could just like go to, right? Which which for them, it's it's kind of like oh, here, just you don't have to do the whole setup, right? It's like kind of already built in. Like okay, this is what we did. For Daniel, this is what worked. This is what didn't work. Right. Let's let we're moving forward with this stuff from the get go. And it's right. like a second go around for them again. You yeah. Know? They
1: get to refine their Which process nice. and he becomes a blank slate. So it's just mm-hmm. really a matter of like how well can you translate one onto the other.
0: What did you think about the Daniel versus Phil Hummuth situation?
1: Uh, I heard it to go. I think, I think Phil.
0: Yeah, they're gonna play. They're gonna play on high stakes feud. Yeah, so that'll be the that'll be the next challenge. Um, as you see the, the real kid poker tweet here. He said he'll play. He'll play you, big guy, and he and wherever. Um, and they ended up agreeing to it. So yeah, I mean, I think the market is going to heavily favor Daniel.
1: Yeah, like I agree,
0: huge in this match. I think I would take Phil. Um, That's the thing I was about to say that like this getting the right price i think i would take phil because of the format yeah the format is just it's in phil's it's in phil's like doghouse right it's like well here's the thing when
1: when the blinds continually increase when you're playing a sit-and-go instead of cash redlining isn't that important at all Mm -hmm. right so it's so so much about volatility and stack preservation and those are two things Mm -hmm. that like daniel just didn't have to concern himself with in this heads up challenge So a lot of the things that Daniel got really fucking good and great at aren't going to apply because he's going to be against an imbalanced opponent who is never bluffing at the proper frequencies. So you know you put yourself in a situation. Imagine, imagine playing a heads-up match where your bluff catchers underperform so much that you had to fold most of them. (laughs) Like how much? Yeah, but it
0: it can't be both ways, right? Well, because then can. he just gets to run him over, right? No,
1: but, but that's the thing. The redlining doesn't really matter, right? Because think about the instances through which he'll run Phil over. The very first adjustment that he'll have to make is folding the big blind at a significantly higher rate because Phil's just not opening a proper range on the button, right? If you reduce Phil's opening range to like 35%, suddenly you can't VPIP 80 from the big.
0: Yeah, the thing. was so Phil was running... Uh... He was running like a 70-10 in terms of 70% limp and 10% open versus Antonio.
1: And that makes sense to me.
0: Which is and, not and, something we see often, right?
1: Right. But even, even again now, uh, so that lowers volatility from his standpoint, which is great. He's just going to overfold from the big blind, which isn't going to matter all that much. Like, Sure, he's losing you know, 0. 0.75 big blinds instead of 0. 0.5 from that position mm-hmm. or, or something of that nature. But you just don't play enough hands for it to fucking matter. All that matters is you know the 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 last all in and things of that nature. But more importantly, Phil's going to recoup a lot of that EV simply by putting Daniel in very difficult spots where like when pots are small, the it, it's not really going to matter any anymore. So like redlining in small pots isn't that big of a deal. And when pots are cr- extremely big, Phil just has it right because like yeah. he's he just he's so linear in nature. He just never is at mm-hmm. bottom, right and. I'm not saying that that makes Phil a favorite by any stretch. I definitely don't think that's true. If we're betting no odds, I take Daniel 100 percent of the time, yeah, without yeah, question Yeah, for sure. but if you're going to lay me four to one, I'll take Helmuth every single fucking time.
0: even like three to one, like it's just like Helmuth is I just don't think he do anything. fine. Right? I
1: just think in that format it's it's really difficult to be that big of a favorite.
0: Yeah, yeah, because the blinds escalate, and he's just like not going to punt it. Which is like annoying, right? You're also Heels just playing. Never
1: you're, you're playing 300 hands to conclusion, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the match literally ends in 300 hands, so it's just yeah. like the amount of variance Anything and volatility. Yeah, it's it's so impossible. It's like when Doug tweeted, uh, "For those of you who are betting me as a two to one favorite uh, for any one given match, stop it. It's literally impossible. No matter how good I am, no matter how big my win rate is, it's literally impossible yeah. for me to be a two to one favorite over Daniel." In any one session of six to eight hundred hands.
0: Yeah, I, I I didn't even know that. I thought maybe maybe it was a thing, you know. I was getting action at two to one, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and I was I was betting obviously Daniel's side uh, one to two or whatever. But yeah, um, okay. Talking about, um, have you watched a little bit of the high stakes poker stuff or no?
1: Yeah, I saw the most recent episode,
0: the one where he folded ace king.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, genius.
0: I was having this. I was having this discussion with some friends, and I was like, "It's always about Lin." Like, I don't know why <laughs> it's always about Lin. They were like, "Would you take Lin or Phil Helmuth? And I was like, "Lin, what are you talking about?" <laughs> like, I'm like, "This guy's folding Ace King to Duan's... Oh, like, like, right. what are you talking about?" Hellmuth's he like, oh.
1: floor and ceiling are maybe like one or two big blinds per hundred difference, right? Like, his floor yeah. may be that he's like literally winning zero. And his ceiling might be like two big blinds per hundred.
0: Yeah. It's like, what are you talking about? This guy's never, like, yeah. he's at the mercy of making nuts. Like, yeah.
1: Like, But the thing is, you can't lose much that way. So, like, his floor is actually relatively high. But yeah, his ceiling is so goddamn low that it doesn't compensate.
0: Okay. So, just for everyone that didn't follow, right? And uh, the ace-king hand. So, in this, in this hand, uh, Lazaro. Lazaro.
1: Sure. If you're gonna put yeah. the if you're gonna put the Spanish spin on it, then yeah. But like you know, we, we we're gonna call him Lazaro. You can call him Lazaro.
0: Lazaro. <laughs> His name is Lazaro. Okay, sure. <laughs> like, okay, so Lazaro limps like under the gun of one, and they're like seven handed or something. Hmm. Uh, it folds to Dur, who iso's with like some dusty hand. I think it was like Jack, jack Seven, ten. Jack Ten. Oh, that's not dusty. That's pretty good. Okay, I think it was like Jack so, Ten off. Okay, so he isos Jackson off. Then Helmuth is in the blind, I believe the big blind, and he just flats Ace-King offsuit, which is weird against a range that is, it's Durr. Like, it's Durr's iso range. I was
1: confused by the whole hand. I thought Laz straddled, and that everybody had no. limped to Laz. And no, then no, he no, just, no. like, peers down. and was like, oh, hello?
0: No, no, no. Lazaro limped. Okay. And then... Like, probably, like, another limp and then an iso.
1: Yeah, yeah. There was um, definitely multi-way action.
0: And then Helmuth Flats, which I didn't understand at all because Drawing the most hands. likely scenario the most likely scenario is that Lazaro is going to call, right? Like, mm-hmm. with, like, 10-8 off or whatever.
1: Yeah, he's, and, he's super wide.
0: Yeah, and then it just goes multi-way with you out of position with ace-king off, which is strange.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you might have right. It might have been Derhead jack-7 suited.
0: I, he yeah, definitely yeah. flopped the jack. I remember that part. I thought he had jack 7 of diamonds. That's what I was He's just in he there with the, with the red, you know, he, he uh you know, the red suits are the aggressive suits for dirt. you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um okay, so then I did it, it didn't make any sense. So then Lazaro now limb 3 bets. To like 15k. Yeah. Yeah. And as you see the oh, action yeah, here. He just folds. He like talks to him. He he's like talking to him like, "Oh, you got something?" you just want to give it to me? Uh, and then like Lazaro says something back to him, which he read as strong and he just mucks the hand. Yeah. And he goes, okay. Okay. And he just, and then a King flops. And I, I'm sad that they didn't fucking zoom in on his face, like, <laughs> <laughs> but this is the type of play. Okay. This is the reason why people say Phil Hummuth sucks. It's not that, you know, they hate him or, or whatever, but this doesn't make any sense. It, it like, does though.
1: Zero sense. It does though. Like does from a live perspective, okay. I I understand where he's coming from. There are just spots where like people are just way too tight and don't possess bluffs, right? And, like Laz just isn't bluffing there ever. So he's not. He yeah. was. Help me. This was in a best case scenario. He was in a best case scenario where he was chopping with Laz, and he saw his dirt to contend with. I'm not justifying the fold. Obviously, he's just three bet dirt to begin with. But like yeah. when your main emphasis in your strategy is to play conservative to a fault. To play conservative in a way where you're not, you're never, he's never, ever, ever trying to maximize value with less than the nuts, right? Never. Literally, it is of no interest to Helmuth. And because he's never trying to maximize value with less than the nuts, he doesn't have to worry about incorporating bluffs or bottom of range to help those stronger hands perform, right? He just lets them perform to their raw equity and lets people make mistakes versus his range over and over and over again because they either aren't disciplined enough to fold bluff catchers versus a range that is uh, completely bounded and devoid of bluffs, or because he's just never putting in a ton of money unless he's on the right side of coolers. Set over set, trip over trips, straight over straight, flush mm-hmm. over flush. right? He just plays everything that's non-nutted, conservative enough, to the point where like he loses when he's against better hands, or he gets to, he wiggles his way out right? Like, he lets a board four flush whenever he has a straight, or he, (laughs) you know, like, whatever. Like, he lets himself get bluffed in a bunch of spots, where it's very clear to anybody who's competent at this game that he just needs to be calling with more hands in these situations, otherwise he's being exploited. He, He builds a strategy around the exploitability of being conservative. But... What he gains through all of that is a tremendous reduction of risk. Fact of the matter is, the more evolved poker becomes, the, the greater the risk factor every time you enter a pot, right? Because yeah. the more the skill gap's closed, the closer to 50-50 any any one interaction yes. is, right? So we're Yeah, fi- you become
0: indifferent. A lot of things become indifferent. Right. Right.
1: We're right. fighting for micro edges, right? We're fighting for a yeah. 1%, 3%, 4% skill edge that's incredibly small and requires a fuck ton of capital to invest in order to get marginal returns, right? You may have to risk five or 10 million to see a few hundred thousand in return, right? You may have to risk five or 10 million to make a a half a million dollars a year in bets, right? So Helmuth recognizes this. He recognizes he's not comfortable risking five or 10 million to make a half a million. And instead, he would much prefer to just put himself in a scenario where maybe he's only risking like one or two million to make two or three hundred thousand, but uh, it's relatively secure because people are still bad enough to make errors against him. If everybody just understood the way that he's exploitable and just never gave the guy action, he'd be out of poker, or he would strictly play yeah. tournaments, right? It but he plays soft over, Silicon yeah. Valley games where they want to say they beat Helmut in a pot.
0: He, you know, he, he 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 was he said this in a tweet, I believe. He was just like, oh, like in in twenty twelve the new kids said I was done, and then I won a bracelet. And then in 2015, the new kids said I was done, and then I won another bracelet. And then in 2017, they said I was done, and I won another one. In 2020, they said I was done, and I won another one. And it's like, they said Antonio was gonna beat me. I beat him three times in a row. Like, I've won 24 out of the last 25 filmed cash games. Like, (laughs) I mean, I go to the airport, I don't need a fucking ID. Like, (laughs) you know, like, like, I mean, that's kind of a little bit of a legend, like.
1: Yeah, and and the thing is, is that like, fuck everybody who says he's bad, because they're all the people that are contributing to his win rate. Literally, every one of these arrogant people who think that like he's not technically sound, he's not game theory optimal, yada yada yada, are the ones that are exactly contributing to his win rate because they play against the guy in the middle stages of a tournament, and they don't recognize that he's completely vapid of bluffs. And just, like, yep. always fucking has it. And they pay him off with the third nuts. Or they pay him off with their best bluff catcher. Or they say, like, I block all of his good hands. I have to call. <laughs> and he still just shows up with the fucking better hand. It's like,
0: hard, man. It's that's hard. what I mean. Like, that's
1: everybody who's criticizing him, also at the same token, can't deprogram themselves to exploit the fact that he's exploitable. Right?
0: That's the thing. Because it's, like, this is the hard part, right? Because this happens to me even when I play, right? Like, I'm playing someone and... You just have a really good hand, and they just bet big on the river, and you have a very good hand. And you're like, but this person just doesn't bluff. But maybe he's bluffing this one time, because your hand has all the properties that force you to that path, right? It's like, it unblocks everything. It, like, has the nut, the nut catcher, right? It like It's like, you have to call this hand, and it's like, so you call, and then he just shows you, once again, the hand that that he's supposed to have and in a tournament like you're mentioning it's very costly because you're not going to have the opportunity to get that back right like how he's gonna just now have 80 big blinds and fold his way to another stage in the in the in the structure and we're not going to see those he's also uh, not kessler right
1: he's not kessler he doesn't try to navigate these fields by just like literally folding his way to the top he he gets in the mix he just gets in the mix very passively and conservatively you know, mm-hmm. he calls a lot of raises. He traps. He limps yeah. a lot from spots. And, you know, he forces people to put in money actively against him when he's at the top of his range. Yeah. And that's yeah. just going to win if nobody's willing to adjust. And the thing is, nobody yeah, wants so to adjust. one of those adjust.
0: things that people should just fold rivers to him, like, unconditionally, unless they have, like, like,
1: even just like a five-card hand. Yeah, even yeah. just, like, earlier in hands. Like, if you're estimating that in a normal spot... Uh, your hand has like 40% equity against range. Well, you have to say like what what equity does it have against Helmuth's range, you know? So it's mm-hmm. like if you have two overs and a flush draw that aren't drawing to the nuts and you're facing a bet from Helmuth who you think is only betting like two pair plus and nut flush draws, suddenly your 50% equity hand goes down to like 20. And it's just that's like, dusty. oh, this is an insane fold, but like that's what I'm supposed to do versus a guy who literally has constructed a strategy Around the fact that we are all too stupid to stop paying them
0: off. Around value, yeah, it's one of the first things you taught me. Actually, like early on, uh, you were like, "Your strategy is constructed around value. Your strategy should be constructed around bluffs." And at the time, like, it was really hard to understand that, but it makes sense. It's like, no, like, your bluffs first, right? They help your value, your
1: value perform,
0: care. right? Yeah. Value's right. easy.
1: No, nobody needs mm-hmm. to put any thought into how to better play value. The way you better play value. Is that you have bluffs to to complement it, so that it performs better. It forces people to call you more, and so long as that is true, now you start printing money at the top, and you hope that you're bluffing at the proper frequencies where you're breaking even with them.
0: I have a theory in why live players don't really ever bluff, and it's because or are really bad at bluffing, mm-hmm. and it's because so many pots go multi-way, and you just can't bluff.
1: I think that's very. So, but- uh, it's funny. I was kind of uh, having a little bit of fun with you in the group chat the other day when uh, we were sweating our horse. Every time the what I felt to be a very clear spot came up, the the disclaimer from you and the horse, where but it's multiway. Uh, I just find that to be like so laughable. It's just like if you are in a game with six relatively incompetent people, which is what's going to happen when hands go multiway quite often is you just have speculative players who play way too many fucking yeah. hands. Your high equity
0: hands are just your high equity hands. I like that term, Burke. Which? Speculative players. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's invite some speculative players yeah. to the game. Yeah, they
1: they uh, they live and die by the Let's See Three mantra.
0: I like that. You know, like all these other terms, like VIP. No, this is a speculative <laughs> player, bro. This guy's a speculative yeah. player. Let's invite some specs. That sounds <laughs> that sounds racist, though. <laughs> You're getting close. I don't know, man. I feel like people don't bluff. I mean, in the games I've played in my life, like when it's multiway, and a bet goes in. Yeah. When and they're facing three people, it's that, hard. People don't bluff. But
1: that's because people use too big of sizes. Like multiway, you just bluff cheaper. You you can start bluffing yeah, for yeah. like ten percent. The whole purpose of like uh, a pro bet on the flop multiway is to clean up equity to the point where now you are still against a relatively wide defending range and you're now in a heads up spot, yeah. right? Cause now leverage yeah. just, if, if you're in a four way pot and you can get it to heads up where the, the person that called you is the one who was closing the action. Anyway, you can guarantee that that's the widest defending range because they don't have anybody else to think about. And now you're in a situation where you're probably in position. So you just have everything leveraging in your favor moving forward. You're the uncapped range. You have the position, uh, the pot is now heads up, so equity is being distributed more evenly between the two of you. Everything is just like working in your favor, and when that yeah. fails, who gives a shit? You bet. You bet small.
0: So let's talk about uh, poker out loud. I did want to talk about that because it's something that that was recorded, and I kind of guess. I guess we never really got the chance to like kind of discuss your experience and the experience of the group, and when people should expect it. I saw some discussion in the group chat today of, like, the vloggers getting some of their clips. Um, give me kind of your like your experience of this go-around, as well as, like, maybe uh, one of your favorite hands that either you saw or that you played.
1: Okay. Um, yeah, we may be a little premature on this beca- just because it's launching in 12 days. So, the vlogger uh, episode one will be out March 2nd, which is a Tuesday, I believe. Uh, and We'll be releasing new episodes every Tuesday for 10 weeks. Um, the subsite, I believe we are launching March 1st that Monday, uh, or March 4th that Thursday. I, I honestly can't recall, but whatever it is, that's going to be the weekly, um, launch time for, for each of them. Um, the vlogger edition was really fun. Uh, I didn't get to watch all of the play, but, uh, I sat in for maybe the first orbit or so. And then, uh, the last orbit, Um, there's a banger of a hand that ends the season. So the very last hand that they play between, uh, Johnny Vibes and Matt Vaughn is kind of a monster. It's, it's a real head scratcher. Uh, I think they're all like all six players are probably going to do some sort of analysis on this hand. It was a four bet pot. It was just pretty interesting. Uh, so I think that that one was pretty cool. Well, I guess I should like clarify who the vlogger session was. It was Matt Vaughn, uh, Johnny Vibes, Marley, Rampage Poker um trevor savage and who am i land off oh and landed yeah of course the non-vlogger yeah. um so i think that that one's gonna be pretty good the subscription site one was so much fun man i think that like we've come so far from season one where it was more of like a dick waving contest where we were so deep. We just wanted to see like how out of line we could all get. And the idea wasn't really to create a training product. It was more so to create something that was entertaining where you could kind of yeah. get in the minds of how different archetypes thought, you know, we had Jack who was relatively tight. We had yeah. uh, Jordan who was just like off the rails loose. We had you that was like super stuck and kind of like getting a little bit out of line here and there and then Nick and I who were controlled madness if you will like yeah. we were within controlled our controlled
0: maximally maximally exploitative yeah
1: like we were within our own boundaries of construction but we were way outside that of optimal uh, and right, it was right. just creating a pretty chaotic environment and i think that that's like super fun to watch knowing that it was 2017 i think gives it a little bit of a pass as far as like what what qualified as like decent strategy back then
0: but you know, if you look at like, it wasn't it wasn't it. But I agree with you. It wasn't like necessarily. It, it was an entertainment product more than it was a training product at the time. Yeah. Like if you had to split it and like, oh, how much is a training? How much can you like watch this and then implement in your game? It was like probably like twenty five percent. It
1: should never be that though. <laughs> uh, even even this past. No, I past, agree with you. Yeah, even season five, which I think is like really fucking good poker. Uh, it's me, Landon, Jeremiah, Williams, uh, Lynn, and Chris Convalenka. I just think it's like really sound poker, really sound thought processes. But even still, nobody should watch it and say like, oh, I'm going to do that in my next session. That's not the purpose mm-hmm. at all. So like whether you're talking about season one or season five, the the clear value proposition of this product is that you get to listen in on the thoughts of archetypes that you'll find in your own environment, Right. So you get to hear how somebody like Landon or Jeremiah, who are effectively children of the Sim, how they work through their thought processes. And you can kind of try to either poke holes in that or uh, adopt a little bit of that thinking, that linear thinking, that logical thinking yourself. Uh, You get to hear a little bit more of somebody like Chris, who is far less refined from a game theory standpoint, but he's super calibrated to the live environment, right? Um, mm-hmm. there are a couple of hands where it's just like he misses so clearly that he's not against a bounded range. Like he's against uh, Jeremiah in a spot where like a one lines and mm-hmm. Chris's commentary was something to the effect of like, he just can't have any bluffs here. And he ends up folding like top of range, like ace king on a king high board. And Jeremiah just has fours. And it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's yeah, he's what, supposed to have yeah, that's what yeah. he's going to find because you know, you have to reach and you have to be able mm-hmm. to think along those pathways, you know? So I think that that's always the takeaway from the study standpoint. It's it's never, I'm so impressed by the way that hand was played or I'm so impressed by this mechanical thing that Landon consistently does or, or whatever the case is. It's not that. It's, it's hearing a well thought out formulated th- uh, line of logic and saying like, okay, I know exactly the types of player in my game who think along these lines. And now yeah. I have a better roadmap on how to approach them. And then I know a bunch of other players who definitely do not think along these lines. And so if they're right. missing all these details, these are areas where I can exploit them, right? Otherwise, yeah, yeah it's just a lot of fun. You know, it's, it's back and forth. There's some shit talking taking place. I'm pretty sure Lynn called every one of us a monkey at some point or another throughout the session. You know, it, that, that type of stuff I, I think is just
0: like good TV, if you will. Was there a hand that you played that you, that you kind of are excited to watch?
1: I don't think so. It was a tale of variance that isn't very impressive. I ran super hot day one where I just had like nutted hands in bluff catching spots. Um, I picked off a hand versus Jeremiah where I had ace queen on a queen high board and he went for it. It was like queen four deuce in a three bet spot where I c-bet flopped small and he went for the raise and then just barreled off with ace five. So I just, you know, I picked that one off for 200 blinds. Uh I won another one. I, I ended up winning like on day one, I think I ended up winning massive. Like six or seven hundred blinds, something like that. Uh wow. and then and then day two, I lost like six hundred blinds, boat over boat and trips over trips. Okay. So like so, just blind so versus probably... blind. I just flop trips versus trips. Uh and then in a multi-way pot I get underboated
0: on five, four, four. Nine, six, where I have 6.4 what are you gonna do man yeah. are you uh is there any more upcoming uh like TV appearances for you I saw I saw this last episode of uh or
1: the escalator
0: argument. or yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. uh yeah there'll be another I don't like that for that format is not like it's not, it's not fun it's funny cause like I, I
1: hate it too <laughs> but I actually think it's I think it's interesting to watch uh what I don't like about it is that like you you bust and you leave like, I don't like the tournament element of it.
0: Yeah, but then it would just be like a 10K cap. Yeah, that, right? I like, think that's yeah. so much better.
1: Like, keep it a 10K cap and let the blinds escalate. Because then you have to Damn. make a choice, right? Like, now all of a sudden you're playing 200 or 400. <laughs> and it's like, do I want to come back in with 25 bigs or do I just want to call it?
0: Yeah, that is that is cool. That is cool. The fact that you bust and then it's kind of weird. Like, yeah. what would happen if four people bust? You guys are going to play like heads up?
1: For sure. It happened before. Weird. They They ran this format before. I think it was a 25K cap and we did one reload. Oh no, it was a 25k cap, no reloads, and we allowed one to one person. So we drew high cards. And whoever drew the highest card was allowed to reload once. Um, This was probably like 18 months ago, two years ago. It was like me, Benba. um,
0: Was Carrie Carrie in it?
1: No, no, no. no. You're talking about the one where I swung a million in each way.
0: Yeah. No, no, no. no.
1: This, This was just like, this was in Pokego Studios for sure. Okay. Um, okay. But it was over in like three
0: hours. Like, so a, dude, lot of, a lot out. of speculative players. <laughs> I think
1: we <laughs> made it to like the second blind level and just like they were heads up.
0: Okay. All right. Well, some of the news that came out also was Veronica is the new host of Poker out of the Dark, which I thought was great. Yeah. How do you see how do you see that like developing? Like so they're film they they filmed the new season, mm-hmm. right? Um yeah, I guess it was some some leaks of who's in it. I saw that Marley was in it based on one of the Instagram posts from Veronica. Um and then we know that I'm not sure if we should save other people who's in it, but I mean yeah, whatever. whatever. Like this, I, this, I know this this, the, why people, this, the, this is why people come to our show. Like and Landon also just like Yeah,
1: also just like this doesn't hurt PokerGo, it only helps them. Uh Blazarian had a game the first day. So it was like Blazarian, Perkins, Aoki, uh you know, just Everybody that you'll want to see if you don't care about watching good poker. Um, yeah. A very rich man's game, if you will. Uh, speculative game. Speculative game. Yeah, a lot of speculating going on there. Uh, prospectors, if you will. You know, like gold prospectors. They're just <laughs> out there mining for, for the good stuff. Um, <laughs> then the next two sessions were uh, what you already referenced. It was like Marley, Landon got to play, Alex Ding got to play in a bunch of lineups chicken wing frank uh i never i don't know his last name but frank the tank you know who i'm talking about he wanted WPT. oh yeah
0: Frank the tank baby let's go wpt gardens
1: yeah he played in a bunch (laughs) of sessions Uh, so i think it's gonna be a good good mix and then the last couple sessions were like lynn mattisau i think or no mattisau played in landon's lineup um
0: yeah i think lynn might be the biggest name of that last uh of that last group. That last sure group.
1: That, that last group was the biggest game for sure. Of, the biggest uh, game. They well, all played. They big, all played the same stakes. Uh, no, they all played one two. Uh, oh, wow. With the exception of Landon's lineup, Landon played fifty one. But okay. outside of that, they all played like one two. But I'm saying that like Lin's two games played by far the largest. They played all like played, played a, lot 400, a lot of four hundred, a um, lot of eight hundred. Just you know, Jake Daniels is in the game. He makes it very big. Uh, but yeah. yeah, it's gonna be a lot of the same faces that you saw in season one. I think
0: in, in the in the first poker after in the season one poker after dark
1: or not yeah. not season one the the
0: most recent one that's airing this now. this se- well season one of the modern uh, new edition was what you mean right I
1: don't know I mean how
0: many new editions are there <laughs> I don't know man that's another thing like I'm a little bit confused in terms of like how many seasons are they one season is is five days of filming that's what I read. But this feels like we just had like this should still be season one in my opinion. Yeah. I, I, like, yeah. What I do you mean? Like, is it new season? Like, also, it's just still, like, it's still winter. It's it, still winter. Yeah. yeah like, it, what are you talking? It's you also get two seasons within one season.
1: It's like sports. Like, it doesn't need seasons. You know what I mean? Like.
0: Yeah, man. Like, wait until twenty. Like, what, like, what's the poker after the dark year. off season? I don't know <laughs> when, when, when are, you completely pause like when are, yeah, like when are they
1: training you know when when uh when are they home and seeing their families <laughs> world series I don't know
0: I'm confused man I don't know what what they're talking about but it was a little confusing okay last topic was you you did a webinar this last week yeah. um I I saw that it went like it went pretty well you were excited about it um Tell people about like the webinar and stuff and like what um like what was it about? Like uh
1: so it was a continuation of the mastermind I did last month, which I think last month was significantly better. Um I got the results of the Sims too close to the start and I kind of I didn't botch one, but it just didn't tell us much. And I spent too much time analyzing it only to come to the conclusion that it just didn't tell us much. But uh a good representation of what the mastermind is um, was exemplified, I think, by a Finding Equilibrium video recently uh, where he talks about, like, GTO bucketing. And this is a concept that, you know, is pretty near and dear to me in the sense that I think it's the only way to practically apply poker strategy in the live room. And I was talking to Landon about this, uh, uh, of how, how much things come in waves in this community where it was mm-hmm. like, If we're talking about like seven eight years ago when the solver wave finally hit and game theory was clearly going to be uh a default line of logic that we utilize in this game at that point it was just like okay we've we built these engines and they have answers for us everybody brace yourself right and now it was all the data analysts came out of the woodwork and like i'm gonna be fucking good at poker and they just, you know, they started running scripts and they're running all these sims and they're just looking at them. they're like, yo, I know what I'm doing here. Okay, so like I can simplify and I can bet third pot on all boards and everybody's fucked because the field is just going to still overfold. And, you know, I have this roadmap to printing money. Mm-hmm. And they were right. They were absolutely right because there was a lot of hubris in poker. There still is. And people are very slow to adapt. So these yeah. new strategic trends caught on, right? Like down betting became a thing. Everybody was in there, you know, third potting. Not everybody, but like the good players were now evolving into third pot strategies. And they were just mimicking what they saw. They didn't care yep. why it worked. All they knew was that it fucking worked. And they knew exactly what to do after they third potted on most board textures, right? Maybe not that they knew exactly what to do, but they had a plan They had what an to idea, yeah. yeah. Yeah, whether it was correct or not doesn't really matter. They had a follow-up. They weren't lost, right? Mm-hmm. And that just put them miles ahead of everybody else who was lost in the weeds trying to brain solve in real time and just saying like, you know, I feel comfortable with this hand or I don't feel comfortable with this hand. And so it's like, I'm going to, whatever. So they really exploited the fact that people were fallible and they stuck rigidly. And I mean, rigidly to the plan of attack of this is what the solver says. This is what I'm going to do. Yada, yada, yada. Right. Well, eventually the field started to catch up. So fast forward to like 2016, 2017, and now all of a sudden mixing is all the rave, right? So we're yeah. no longer just pure betting third pot on flops. We have to like look at the different textures and we recognize that there are mixed strategies and you know we have to work in balanced checkbacks. And now all of a sudden, and you can attest to this, when we started preparing for dead money, when we bucketed yeah. people as, as studied or GTO uh, type of players, we... Immediately, just blanketed said that they'll check back flop too much, right? Yeah,
0: it was either like the strategy was super simple: is either they check back the flop or they're tripling all hundred percent,
1: hundred percent, right? Like if yeah. they start bet, expect a trip, period. Yeah, because they're only starting bet on advantageous boards now, right? Right,
0: it was either like bet effectively, it was either bet give up forever, right? Start with the with the check or bet bet bet. Those are yeah. the only three options.
1: Yeah, there there was like, there was like three lines that we saw. And, uh, the only double barrel lines that we saw or, or, or sorry, uh, the only double barrels that we saw that didn't result in triple barrels were bet, check, bet when they improved on the river. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So like the river play was just like pretty exploitable because nobody was really bluffing quite enough at that point. Otherwise, if it just went bet, bet in that cadence, you knew for a fact that third shell was coming and that like, it was just always signifying of a trip. Uh, yep. And you just didn't really see the check back, bet, bet all that often either, right? It was like, no, it was either check, check, bet or uh, check, bet, bet or sorry, check, bet, check, because it was mostly mm. marginal hands. Um, so now mixing becomes very in vogue and everybody's all on the balance train. And, you know, now it's not even good enough to be uh, a child of the sim, you have to be that next that ne- That's level one bullshit, man. You know, I yeah. I don't want to hear about your simplified flop strategies, yo. I run aggregates, right? I got reports yeah. that say I'm aggro as fuck on these textures and I'm passive. On- so you know, it starts to delve into the mixing realm, right? And people aren't good at it by nature. So right, random course. randomization became a thing, and a lot of people spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to randomize pre flop, how to randomize post all this other shit, right? So that got refined. People got very good at it. You can look at the heads up challenge now between Doug and Daniel to the point where preflop was just standardized. None, none yep. of them none of them made preflop decisions. It was all ran it was you know, they were just victims to the randomization, right? Now you fast forward to like 2020, 2021, and what people are recognizing is that, oh, we're still playing against humans and they fucking suck because now we have mass data that just tells us that they fucking suck. So even with all these mixes, even with all these sims, even with all the randomization, we can still just find hot spots where it's like everybody's underperforming on these per- particular streets. Everybody's underperforming on these particular flop textures with their CBET strategies. Nobody is complicating things enough. They're still choosing one size strategies, yada, 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 yada. Mm-hmm, and what mm-hmm. ultimately people are arriving at is let's go pure again. Let's follow the incentive of the fucking hand. I don't care. Like, one of the things that uh, I hear getting kicked around about like elite level heads up players, I, I think Doug said this in an interview, is they don't think about it as range versus range. They think about it as their hand, the incentives of said hand, and how that actually mirrors their opponent's ranges defense strategy. And that makes sense because truly. I
0: feel like we've been, but what, like ironically like you've been saying that for a long time yeah <laughs> like you, you've been saying like like no like just play your hand and like this hand is going to shift him that way right. and then you play that way yeah it's kind of it's kind of ironic right
1: well i, I mean it's logical it wasn't an accident that i arrived to that conclusion that's what card removal does right yeah whenever you have a hand that eliminates certain candidates from your opponent's range it means that he's imbalanced period that's the whole problem yeah. is like the, the concept of balance assumes that either both hands are unknown or that uh, somehow multiple of the same card exist in the deck, right? Because the second that you have the Ace of Spades and he can't have the Ace of Spades, he becomes capped. And if he's capped, mm-hmm. his availability to balance is just restricted, right? It's just limited. Um, so I think that like, you know, we've, we've been saying this for five years now that we've been in a company. It, the, the evolution is you start to play and you think about your exact hand and where it ranks in the, the hand ranking order. Is it good? Is it bad? Yeah. You know, one pair beats two, or two pair beats one pair, trips beat two pair, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then you start thinking about like how your hand plays against the best possible hand your opponent could have. So you start to look at your hand and then you look at the board and you say, what's the nuts? And you mm-hmm. say, oh, 9 is the nuts. I hope he doesn't have 9 but I have a pretty good hand because I have a set. and so like I play accordingly, assuming he doesn't have nine ten, I get to make a lot of money, right? Yeah, then the next evolution is, well, I have a range. What does my range do against the best hand that he could potentially have? And so you start yeah. thinking in a range versus hand type comparison of like, okay, well, I have this cluster of hands that fit in this certain class that I want to bet, you know I have hands that have like pair plus draw. I have hands that are sets. I have hands that are over pairs. All of these hands want to bet for different reasons, protection, for value, for bluff, yada, 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 right? So how does this cloud of hands perform against a hand my opponent could have? Well, if he's at the top of range, then I have X amount of equity. And that's really all I need to know, right? If he has the absolute best hand he has in his range, and I still have over the equity threshold necessary to continue, then I'm fine right? I built built my range out just fine, right? If he has the absolute top of range and I need 30% to continue and I recognize that my hands are performing at 35%, I get to be aggressive, period. Simple. The last evolution previously was then range versus range. So how does my overall cloud of hands interact with my opponent's overall cloud of hands? But there's another step to that, right? And Mm -hmm. it's now analyzing or digging deeper, into the micro of your range and saying like, how does each one of my hands individually perform against my opponent's range? Because each one of my hands tells me something, right? Yeah. When I have this exact candidate with these exact suits, I know something more about his range. I'm able to narrow it a little bit more. And there are very specific incentives of this hand. So I do want to compare it to my global strategy, right? I I Mm want to look at this exact hand and say like, okay, this hand wants to go aggressive. But now I do have to compare it to my global range, right? I have to say, like, does my range want to go aggressive? And if the answer is largely no, like, no, this is a super high-frequency check, okay, this is going to be a hand I utilize to protect my checking range, right? Mm -hmm. So we start to arrive at simple conclusions. This is a very long-winded explanation to basically say that, like, uh, the last two masterminds have been an exercise in practical splits. So all we're looking at is when we arrive at mixed flop strategies where the solver kind of likes two or three sizes and it also kind of likes a check right like mm-hmm. uh we use 963 rainbow in a single raised pot for an example it likes a big bet like 15 20% of the time it likes a small bet like 50 60 uh actually might have been like closer to like 70% of the time and it likes a small amount of checking right like maybe mm-hmm. 15 20% of the time that's like well when you look at the the sim output What you see is that all of the hands that big bet, also small bet. Also small bet, yeah. And sometimes check. Not all of them, but like some of them. Sometimes check, right? yeah. And then all of the hands that small bet also sometimes check. And Mm -hmm. it's just like, how the fuck can you ever parse through all of this in real time when you're only going to see 100 hands in this entire session and you're playing against Janitor Joe who you certainly he's not a
0: janitor bro he's a speculator
1: He's a spec yeah, speculative <laughs> sam over there you know prospector pete who's just trying to fucking flop gin you're, you're playing against bingo bob and it's just like
0: <laughs> bingo bob. Well,
1: we we don't need to be this goddamn precise to make money as a matter of fact we make more money by not being precise we make more money by turning the error propensity on them on them trying to complicate or uncomplicate their counter strategy, right? So the simple thing you recognize is like, okay, if all the hands that small bet also check, do we need to check? What's the EV loss if we just don't check, right? And when you run it it's like nothing. It's like, you know, 0.05 yeah, big blinds of the of the pot. So like you're just losing nothing. It's yeah. like, okay, so now let's just have two bet, two bet sizes. And then you look at it and it's like, okay, well now if I reduce it just to two bet sizes, it's mixing. So every hand that bet, bets big also bets small. That's problematic. So why don't we just look at the incentives of the two fucking ranges? And let's just say we're not going to bet big with top set because on 963, it just fucking blocks our opponent from having calls. And instead, let's yeah. bet big with middle set and bottom set, right? Okay, so now we have a really good hand in our small betting range. We have two really good subsets of hands in our big betting range. What else can we marry with this? Well, what other hands want to bet big? Hands that want to protect. So our 9X. Yeah particular our strongest nine x right ace nine king nine queen nine okay throw yeah, those in sure. the big bet Makes range sense. right what else wants to protect the over pairs that can get drawn out on easily so tens jacks queens what hands don't care to big bet aces kings they don't need as much protection we throw them in the small bet yeah. range, right and you just practically split this way and then we reran it and showed that we're losing like no fucking ev by taking this strategy but you can intuitively look at this board and immediately know what your big bets are and what your small bets are
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's the way – I think a lot of people, like, a lot of the best players do play like that, like, when they're actually playing. Uh, For sure, playing. Yeah. Yeah, like, when they're playing and they have a a spot that it's mixed, like, they're just going to say, okay, I have sixes, so I'm, like, always going to big bet because I have sixes, Mm -hmm. you know? And then when they have nines, they're like, well, I'm mostly going to small bet, maybe sometimes check, and that's it, you know? Um, they're not going to like, it's like pretty practical. And then like when they have Queens, like they mostly choose the big bet. Like, it's just like, you know, like whatever. Um,
1: Well, that's, that's the biggest takeaway is that sure. If you're getting into mass data or mass volume where you're playing millions of hands a year, it's very, very critical that you're precise. You benefit a lot by being able to mimic a solve because the closer to that strategy, you can apply over millions of hands the more protected you are and thus the more consistent win rate you have. However, if you're just one tabling, putting in very, very, very low volume and you have an intimate knowledge of where your opponents are flawed, you're infinitely more incentivized to just maximize your exploits, right? And just play as practically as you possibly can to a point where it's unclear to them how you're deviating, but you're deviating, right? Yeah. And I I think that like that's, where I say, I I use this phrase a lot, but it's losing the forest for the trees, right? So you're too focused on the trees to actually see the forest. And that's, uh, that's a lot of what's happening here. When you're so insanely focused on the minutia of the splits and making sure that all of your frequencies are correct and that all your mixes are correct and that you're randomizing and all this other stuff, you've forgotten about the fact that the true purpose of game theory in most instances is just to give you heuristics to think logically. So if we can literally just have a heuristic that says middle set is higher EV to bet big than top set because middle set gets called by more top pairs. That's pretty simple, right? That's that's a pretty yeah. simple uh rule of thumb to abide by. And it's way easier for people to understand that strategically than recognizing that like, oh, well 6s goes hyper-aggressive 72% of the time and 18% of the time they small-bet and, you know, 10% of the time they actually check back for the sake of protecting range and, like, all of these things intertwine to earn you an extra six cents.
0: <laughs> the six cents is true. It's true. Alright, I thought the conversation was awesome today. I'm really happy I got to, uh, to join in today. I was, uh, I don't know. I was, I was a little bit out of, out of the game, you know? I was, like, sick for fucking forever. But, dude, don't lose the fucking ocean for the seas. Don't, uh, <laughs> don't, uh, you know, what else, what else can we, you know, don't, I don't know. Don't, when, when are you coming,
1: lose, when are you coming back to Vegas? Don't,
0: don't lose the ocean for the seas. I don't know, man. It's probably soon, man. It's like, it's probably, it's probably time to go back. All and, right. forgive Vegas. Evaluate. Forgive Vegas.
1: Uh, are you up for a March snowboarding trip?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm going. I already told,
1: I already told Dan. Did you really? Yeah. Okay, yeah, second week of March, we all want to go to Tahoe.
0: Yeah, I told Dan I'm in. I said I, I spoke to him about it. The fuck out! I, I don't believe you for a second, <laughs> bro. What are you talking about, bro? I said I told Dan Dominican on skis. Get ready. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Okay, I'm I'm pumped for this. I'll I'll
1: even take lessons with you. I don't care. I'll do it again. I don't think I'm Dude. good enough or like i'm here good. i've never
0: been on a fucking ski I, like, no no
1: no, snowboard <laughs> snowboard you got a snowboard
0: whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. anything
1: <laughs> basically i i'm still bad enough where i want to recruit as many of my friends as possible to at least get to my level of bad while like before i get good because if yeah. i if i end up getting good then i'm just gonna be isolated it's just gonna be me and dan and i don't enjoy his company that much
0: <laughs> yeah i told dan i was in i told i'm definitely going nice all right okay i told him dominican on skis (laughs) (laughs) he started laughing it's like the jamaicans with a bobsled team because i was like dan what do you think's gonna happen with bitcoin and he's like it's anybody's guess now man nobody (laughs) knows nothing makes any sense
1: (laughs) it's true it really is true (laughs)
0: he's like he's like you know Things said that it was gonna go down and then all of a sudden we're breaking new all-time highs i don't know anymore i was like bro don't worry let's get some steak and let's go to tahoe and he's like yeah right let's go (laughs) oh man dan's awesome but all right thank you everyone this was episode number 30 season number two i hope you all enjoyed if you didn't get a chance to watch uh berkey's webinar please give it a watch the subscription site is still only 9.99 it's way too cheap um give it a watch uh i'm sure it was it, it, it was amazing i got a lot of like positive reviews about it if you haven't liked if you haven't subscribed please do so if you leave a comment tell me what you ate this morning with that have a good night